we're here in the hangar here now and, and there's a tractor hooked up to the, yeah. the helicopter. Yeah. So if, if a call comes in, then... So everything's reversed into the hangar so that if we are called, our takeoff spot down there with the H on the tarmac down there. So if the phone rings, the guys will just bring into action and, you know, tow the helicopter out so that when we've printed the weather and checked the weather and all that business, when we walk out, we're ready to go. Hello and welcome to the Met Aaron podcast. I'm Liz Walsh. I'm Noel Fitzpatrick, and in this episode, we're looking at the vital service provided by search and rescue teams and how weather impacts their operations. Later in this episode, we'll hear more from helicopter pilot Porek Slattery at the Rescue 118 Coast Guard Base. First, though, we talk to members of the Galway Mountain Rescue Team, Rory Sherlock and Eamon Hartley, about the important work they do, how weather influences their activities, And we even get some pointers on what you can do to stay safe when you're on an adventure in the great outdoors and hopefully avoid needing their help. Has it been a busy summer for the team? It has, uh, to be honest. I think it's been a busy summer for all teams. I saw in the media recently that Kerry Mountain Rescue Team were reporting uh, high levels of call-outs as well. Uh, I think a lot of it is due to staycations, that lots of families are holidaying at home uh, and exploring the hillsides. Um, people who are regular hill walkers, they hill walk all year round. Um, but there's been a sort of a surge in the summer uh, with people on holidays um, exploring the, the uplands and the hills and so forth. So with COVID then, has it been like busier than usual then? It was very quiet during the strict lockdown because everybody stayed at home within their 5K or whatever it was. But once that lifted slightly, people started to get out and about and uh, it certainly got busier, yeah. Nationally as well, I think we're also seeing that Hill walking is getting busier and busier and, and more and more popular every year. So year on year, I think the hills are getting busier too. I can imagine. And, and, and generally speaking, would mountain rescue be quite seasonal? Would, would you have a big difference between one season to the next? Not particularly. I, I don't think so. Um, obviously, it has an impact day to day on what we do. But committed hill walkers tend to walk all year round. So uh, we could easily be called out uh, just about any time uh, throughout the winter. Spring and autumn are quite busy um, and summer can be patchy. Sometimes it's busy, sometimes uh, it's not. I suppose the depths of winter, January, February, uh, you know, December, January wouldn't be too busy. But it really is an all year round thing, to be honest. And I guess tied in with that, then, are there certain weather conditions then that you might be keeping an eye out for because you would know say for example if the weather's warm you might have more people out or maybe if the weather's going to be bad you'd know that oh rescue is going to be much more difficult i think um from one year to another you can kind of expect that if the weather is drier uh, and clearer weather you'll generally have more uh, maybe amateur hill walkers or less experienced hill walkers would be out on the hills um as rory said then meanwhile in the winter in january and february and that kind of time, when you generally have much uh, wetter or even snowy conditions, that tends to be the more experienced walker that will be out during those conditions, really, you know. But you, you can get people out at any time of the year, obviously, and, and we, you know, accidents happen at any time of the year. So we have to be prepared, I suppose, ourselves for a call that could come any day, you know, in any month. Yeah, all mountain rescue team members in Ireland are volunteers. So uh, we, most of us just have the kit in the car ready to go. Team members w- would always have uh, what we call our, our rescue gear in the car with us. Um, and then if you get a call, you are, you'd be confident that your gear is ready and that you'd be ready to, to answer that call, you know. Plus, you could get a call when you're at work or you may be, uh, be travelling or you may be doing something at the weekend where you're out in the hills anyway. Um, so it's good to have the gear with you and the confidence that... that all the equipment is there and you're ready to respond. You obviously have day jobs, right? So like, you know, it must be 
like difficult to kind of um, when you get a call like do you is your work kind of understanding of that or in some cases some people work in an environment where they have to attend nine to five mm-hmm. and we understand that they're, they're off call from nine to five and we know we can rely on them in the in the evening um and others might be self-employed or they might have more forgiving employers or they, they might be shift workers and all that kind of stuff so not all members of the team would be available at all times and we just understand yeah. that we, we just hope that uh, a good percentage will turn out on a particular day and considering that you're always sort of ready to go you know at a moment's notice you must be keeping a close eye then on on what the conditions are like or what the forecast is you know bearing in mind that you may have to go out that day or something are there certain products that you that you would look at each day or, or how frequently would you look at those well i i'd look at the metair app on my phone multiple times during the day uh, partly because i do a portion of my work outdoors so i always want to know you know what's happening and it's it's always the rainfall radar i'm looking at that's you know that's my number one thing you know but for me that's the big thing it's always interesting to see where people get their weather forecast from you know, different people uh, from different countries will approach it in different ways, you know, that uh, some people will say there's a 10% chance of rain. Uh, and I'm thinking, that doesn't tell me a whole lot, you know, <laughs> um, how heavy is it going to be? What direction is it coming from? You know, so I, I, I always advise people, particularly in the hill walking context, to uh, dive a little deeper into weather forecasts. Don't just rely on the brief forecast after the news on the hour, every hour. Because for me, that's the kind of forecast you want if you're going into town, going to do some shopping or something like that. If you're going to go on the mountain or you're going to go sailing or you're going to go out fishing or something, I, I think you need to be getting a little more detail. You want to be looking at atmospheric pressure and how that's changing and how the weather's going to evolve over the next few hours. I always look at the or listen to the radio forecasts um, five to midnight at night and then five to eight in the morning. From a hill walking point of view, that's my thing of checking the night before and checking the morning before you go. And yeah, I, I think it's, it's simple little things of, you know, most of the mountains in Ireland are around the coast. So the coastal weather forecast can be quite important for temperature, visibility, wind strength, those key things when you're on the mountain. That That is one of the things that we think about when forecasting is there is a connection there, like, because certainly um, if we're naming a storm or something like that, um, we're really conscious of the fact, is it orange level at the coast or is it coming inland a bit? And um, and we're always conscious of that. If it's a high yellow warning, you know, it means that it's probably orange at the coast and probably orange at higher at higher elevation as well. I think that's a good point because you have to, you know, appreciate how people will experience that weather in in different locations, high up or low down. We were on Diamond Hill a few years ago and we had a report of people stuck on the summit due to high winds, which we thought was kind of odd because lots of people have climbed Diamond Hill. A lot of our listeners will know it. It's about 450 metres high. It's not a particularly big hill. It's got a nice path leading up to it and uh, it's right by the coast. It's a beautiful location. So we sent a team up on the hill and I was on the radio down in base. And uh, it was a breezy uh, at base, but the weather was not exceptional in any way. Uh, And we thought it was a little odd that we were being called out to assist people on the the summit. Um, And by the time our team got up there, our team were getting knocked over by the strength of the wind on the summit as they were going to, to the other people. And this was coming back to me on the radio. And I was realizing that conditions only a kilometer away and 400 meters higher than where I was were significantly different to what I was experiencing, you know. So I I think perception is, is, is important as well. And that and that's saying that, you know, one person's cloud is another person's fog. You know, you must see that regularly. You could be down in a relatively nice day. There might be just a little bit of cloud catching the summit. But if you're up there, that cloud could be, you know, obviously the temperature might be different. There could be rain in it and it could be quite disorientating then for finding your way around as well. 
Yeah, that definitely does happen. I mean, we would generally, a lot of hill walkers would generally have a, a very simple rule of thumb that for each 100 metres you gain, you would lose a degree in temperature. So if you're at even 10 degrees at the bottom of Karen Thuel, you probably you could be close to zero degrees at the top, you know. Um, and then, as you say, you bring in your cloud cover and you bring in mist and fog into that as well. Um, and again, these can have a, a higher intensity on the coast and that kind of thing as well. So, um, you know, it can be a very different day uh, at the bottom of one peak to Rory's point there to what it is, uh, even 400 metres up that peak. Yeah, and I think visibility is key because uh, we would always encourage people to uh, practice uh, navigation and to be fully trained in, in mountain navigation. And it comes down to the map and compass. A lot of us use apps on our phone for navigation on the hill and so forth. But you have to be able to fall back onto the map and compass and to do it in more or less any conditions in, in you know in in really cloudy conditions when you can only see 10 or 15 meters or in in darkness and that's one of those things uh that, that is one of those sort of benign parts of weather you know that you look up and you see a bit of cloud on the hills there's no strong winds temperatures are fine but if the visibility is down to you know less than 20 meters or something you can get into difficulty fairly quickly with steep ground and so forth so like leading on from that then how how important is local knowledge in terms of um, mountain rescue like knowing the terrain and the weather and how the weather behaves in that area i think i think to me let's see if you agree with this Eamon, but i i to, to in me in my mind local knowledge is important for terrain and for navigation not so much for weather I, to me okay. weather is like a layer that's laid over on top of that and uh, I can engage with the weather through forecasting and through, you know, the observations from nearby weather stations and so forth. Uh, to me, local knowledge is more useful in terms of uh, navigation on the hill and, find, you know, finding your way and knowing the best route and so forth. The only thing I think I would say about that is we will probably know if we have a call out, let's say, on Diamond Hill, that that's right on the coast. Um, so there is a higher there is a higher chance that we will have more uh, cloud cover on that and particularly rain uh, on that peak than what we would on some of the more inland peaks where where cloud is dissipated maybe over the peaks coming in from the coast but that's kind of it's kind of a, a, a delay of the land you know you, you realize if you're talking about one peak over another that that is part of the the, the geography of it there's obviously a lot of training that w- that goes into to being um to being in a mountain rescue team and being a, being an effective team and maybe in relation to what you're just saying there in terms of knowing an area quite well would you carry out training uh, specific to the different types of weather conditions that you might encounter? You know, say, for example, you know that a certain location, you know, it's very difficult to perform a rescue in fog or if there's icy conditions or something like that. Do, does, does weather come into your planning of training? We have a relatively set uh, training program uh, where we train every uh, one evening, every fortnight, and then also one Sunday, generally every month. And the rule that you get to know very, very quickly is no matter what the weather is happening, the training is going to go ahead, you know, because uh, in, in, I suppose with, with other uh, sports in particular, you might have training would be cancelled on an evening when there was very bad weather. But we would always tend to go ahead with, with our training, uh, even in severe weather conditions. Now, obviously, if you have weather warnings and weather, weather alerts, that's a different scenario. But if you're coming home from work and you notice that it's raining this evening and you're training in an hour, you're still going to be training in an hour, you know. So that does then give us the, the experience, I suppose, and the knowledge of, of those weather conditions in wherever it is that we're training. So we might only be out for a couple of hours. Um, it, it could be on lowland or it could be up in the mountains, but you will get a, a good idea of the weather then through our different trainings and through the different weather conditions that you will be training in. And have you guys trained elsewhere? Like, have you been, uh, like, are you hill 
avid hill walkers abroad as well like the majority of our team members would all be um, experienced hill walkers now you yeah. could have a lot of people would be experienced on the island of ireland and you would have others who would have walked in the himalayas scotland uh, in the alps all that um, so it does no more than any group, I suppose. It does uh, vary an awful lot across the team. But we do have um, international training sessions. Um, I attended a session in Scotland in relation to winter mountaineering and this kind of stuff that where we wouldn't have the conditions here in Ireland. So uh, that was there, I think, maybe uh, winter three years ago. So we would send people on that every few years uh, so that they would be trained up in it. As I say, it's probably not something we get a huge amount of here. But if we did happen mm. to get a call in, in extreme weather, um, that we have the knowledge or the expertise that we can fall back on, you know. So that is important too. A lot of people, as I say, will will hike um, or, you know, uh, do a lot of summer hiking, let's say, and it could be Spain or it could be France. So then when we get hot weather conditions like we had going back maybe a month ago, uh, there was a number of calls throughout the country for heat stroke. And that's probably something that we don't see a huge amount of here. Um, but obviously from hiking abroad, you would get a lot more experience of it. And anyone really who hikes abroad would have uh, a greater knowledge on that, you know. When you're on, on call, say, and, and you look at the forecast for the day and you're seeing what the conditions are, are there certain decisions that you're then making to say, OK, if a call comes through, I'm going to need to bring this certain amount of gear or we're going to need to need this number of people or, or, or those kind of decisions that you're making say prior to a call coming through we would generally see what happens the call will come and we'll deal with it when it comes the one time when we will sort of act uh, in advance would be when there's a severe weather warning orange or red uh, and then we, we we might sort of come together the team leader and the deputy team leaders might discuss an appropriate plan of action. Uh, is it appropriate to put people on the hill in this weather that's forecast for tonight if we do get a call, you know? So for routine weather, we tend to take it as it comes. But for more severe weather, we tend to put contingency plans in place. That also occurs very rarely, but it does occur from time to time where you have severe weather in a non-mountain environment. So, for example, we would have been on standby for uh, Storm Emma uh, when the, the snow came a few years ago, uh, and we would have used our four-wheel drive vehicles in support of some other groups in the community, in support of the Gardaí and so forth, when they needed to arrange transport for somebody. We don't do a lot of that. It's more the remit of the civil defence and the Coast Guard and so forth. Uh, but we're available uh, if we need to be called in severe weather and, and on that are there are there sort of definitive thresholds that determine whether you can head out on a call or not or is that a sort of on a case-by-case basis i think it's really on a case-by-case basis it's, it's a judgment call for the team leader uh, or the deputy team leader who's running the the call out on that day the the incident commander as we would call them uh, they have to make a call because you know some aspects of severe weather will, will, will affect us more than others. Uh, wind is always a significant one. So if we had a, a red warning for wind or something, we'd be, we would be slow to put people on a mountain in those conditions. Um, but we would certainly respond anyway. We would get people onto the lower slopes of the mountains. We would have people, if we were searching for somebody, driving around all the roads at the base of the mountain and so forth. Um, but if, for example, if it was an orange warning for heavy rain, that wouldn't bother us too much. And we'd probably put a full team on the hill uh, in those circumstances. So it really is a call based on what the nature of the call out is and what the exact details of the weather warning are. We're also speaking to the Coast Guard um, Helicopter Rescue 118 for this episode. Um, do do your team kind of hook up a lot with um, other rescue services? Yeah, we do from time to time. I suppose um, 
you will often see on any of the, the television documentaries that have been done about mountain rescue, they do interact uh, quite frequently with the, with the Coast Guard. I say the Coast Guard, in particular, we interact with the Coast Guard helicopter. But um, in our area here, let's say in Galway, we do also have a number of Coast Guard ground crew uh, as well. So uh, there's a couple of different ground uh, units, uh, Coast Guard units in Galway. And we would interact with those as well from time to time. So okay. we were on a search recently that was spread over uh, three days. And there was a Coast Guard ground crew there. There was civil defence members there and ourselves at Mountain Rescue. Though We had, I think, two or three separate teams at Mountain Rescue um, at the scene. And then as well, the Coast Guard helicopter did come in uh, and assist in that search um, over the two or three days as well from time to time. So we do interact with them quite frequently. But obviously, you know, weather when we are called out uh, may not suit a helicopter, you know. So it is, I will be honest, it's the the minute number of cases, but there is cases there where the weather that we're having in in a particular area for for an incident wouldn't suit a helicopter um, to assist us, you know, and these things do happen. We often have to wait and the weather does change quite quickly in this country. So it doesn't, we wouldn't, if we're on a call, um, and we request a helicopter and that can't be provided due to weather, that can change in half an hour to an hour, you know. Um, so we, we would always have to be aware of that and keep our eye on the weather forecast. Obviously ourselves and the Coast Guard as well will be keeping an eye on the weather forecast to see is it likely to change in the short term, you know. Is there like a particular rescue that um, that comes to mind that was particularly difficult due to the weather? I think they all have a certain element of, of um, weather in them. Different mountain rescue teams across the country, I suppose, have different experiences. Some of the Irish mountain rescue teams would have well over 50 rescues a year, so they're quite busy. But some of those rescues might be relatively short. Galway would be one of the less busy teams. We would have maybe around 20 call-outs a year. Um, But because the mountains of Connemara can be quite rugged and quite remote, some of those could go on for quite an extended period. So there are times when you find yourself on the mountain overnight, which can be quite challenging if you've just done, you know, a full day's work and then you get called out in the evening and you find yourself on the mountain uh, overnight and the weather then can be quite challenging what what would be uh, okay weather uh, you know a a bit wet a bit windy uh, by daytime uh, when you're tired uh, and you're trying to perform on the mountain at night uh, it can be quite challenging but any rescue where you find yourself lying down to avoid the wind is is a memorable rescue I mean we've had a few of those where the wind is uh, very very severe and sometimes it's limited to a particular side of the mountain or uh, you know a particularly short period of time but it's quite challenging then and it really is up to the more senior members of the party the, the party leaders and so forth to look after everybody in the party. It sounds a little odd, but in it's one of the key tenets of mountain rescue is that your first duty is to yourself to keep yourself safe. Your second duty is to your team, your team members who are with you. And unfortunately, the candidate comes third. So it's uh, an unusual approach, if you like, but it's, it's what we have to do uh, when you're on the hills in severe weather. How can members of the public best help you in your work in terms of, I guess, in the first place, not having to call on you, I guess, by staying safe, but then when, when a rescue is required. Preparation is key in, in, in terms of uh, hill walking or indeed, I suppose, any outdoor activity, really. And this is something that is coming up again and again in recent years, much more than it used to, uh, not just in Ireland, but in elsewhere as well. I've noticed some of the uh, British mountain rescue teams releasing press releases about uh, preparation being key uh, in the recent past as well. Um, it's, it's vital that you... You choose your activity for the day based on a number of factors, based on the ability of the group and the equipment that the group has, and whether it's a family group or a group of friends or or whatever, it's really all the same. But also the weather conditions are vital. I think one of the most important things is, if possible, to avoid going out alone. 
a lot of people like to walk alone. It, it's good for the head. It's good for physical exercise and so forth. And it's a lovely thing to do in a lowland context. But walking alone in the mountains is pushing the envelope of 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 safety, if you like, just a little bit. Um, it, it certainly limits your your capacity to call in a, a rescue if you need it and so forth. And we would always encourage people not to hesitate to call mountain rescue. Don't leave it too late. Uh, if you think things are going wrong at uh, four o'clock in the afternoon don't wait until six when it's getting dark to give us a call you know that uh, we're perfectly happy to stand down if a mountain rescue team is called to assist and then the people on the hill manage to find their way out of trouble and get back down to the roadside we're perfectly happy if we're driving out there to turn around and drive back and uh, and stand down so we would definitely encourage people to plan in advance uh, have the right equipment and check the weather forecast carefully uh, and plan a suitable day to, to, to match that. And then keep that under review as the day goes along. If, if the group gets slower and slower and slower, don't keep convincing yourself that you're still going to be able to climb three more peaks before you get back to the road. Always have your exit option, your exit strategy in place that you decide we're going to cut this day short and, uh, and head down back, back down into the valley. And then if you need them, don't be afraid to call Mountain Rescue. They're always happy to come. Yeah, I think like one of the most important things is like not being afraid to turn back. You know, you, you become so yeah. determined that you're going to finish this and you're going to go with this trail. But actually, sometimes the best thing you can do is to turn around and go back. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a very simple thing, but the mountain will always be there next next week, next month, next year. Um, it's something that people often think about in hindsight. We should have turned back, you know, but you need to bring that thinking forward a little and have it at the forefront of your mind. Should we turn back now? Is, is now the time to call it? Should we, should we decide to leave that for another day? The five things that I would look at would be one, you know, what the weather is doing is always important because uh, no matter, you need the day to suit your activity. So whatever hike it is that you're doing, you need to be sure that the day is suitable for that hike uh, and for the group that you have with you. So I suppose that kind of falls into your preparation and the weather and, and checking that out. And then, again, with your preparation, you need to be sure that you have the equipment and you have everything and you're fully prepared to do it. As well, you want to make sure that you're doing something that, that is in the realms of possibility. You don't want to be scaling up Carantuhill if you've never done any kind of hill walking or any kind of hiking at all, you know. Um, so that goes without saying. But I think a lot of people would be aware of that. And then have you everything you need. And not alone have you everything to get up there for two hours and back. But if something goes wrong, have you everything that you're going to need for that? So the likes of a mobile phone, the likes of additional rain gear, the likes of an extra jumper, uh, the likes of appropriate footwear, all that kind of stuff will go into your preparation that you have all that stuff prepared. There's three principal things that, that go wrong that you can relate everything back to. It's either a simple accident, and that can happen to any of us. We can trip over and uh, a lower leg injury would be very common for us. So an ankle or a tibia fibula break or, or sprain would be would be probably the most common. Um, so you've got the accident, which is in, to a large extent unavoidable uh, unless you're wearing bad footwear and so forth. Then you've got a navigation error, which is a lack of planning and a lack of appropriate training, uh, which can lead people into all sorts of difficulties with, with uh, steep terrain and so forth. And then you've got the environmental issues, particularly the weather, you know, and that, again, it comes back to planning. So I looked at a list of uh, mountain rescue incidents that were catalogued in Scotland over a decade, about two and a half thousand incidents uh, logged and less than 10% of them were what you might call unavoidable things, you know, medical emergencies on the mountain and so forth. The vast majority of the incidents were related to poor pre preparation, navigation errors, 
failing to take account of the weather, poor equipment, lack of training and navigation, et cetera, et cetera. So there's so many things, so many issues can be avoided uh, with proper planning and proper training. In terms of the service itself, it's entirely voluntary. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So we have approximately uh, between 35 and 50 team members um, at different levels. And of those, we would probably have the 35 would would be uh, Hill members who would go and respond to a call out. And then other members would assist those, be it in maintaining different gear and equipment and vehicles and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it's entirely voluntary. So as I say, all those 50 would, would give their time voluntarily. How, how do you fundraise for the team then? Uh, we do uh, different fundraisers every year. So um, pre-COVID, we would do a street collection in Galway, uh, which would have been every October. Um, that's gone on for a number of years and always very successful. Um, we also then would run our own event. So we had a Howl at the Moon event uh, going back over the last two years and we're hoping to have it again this year. And that they would be our, our primary fundraising uh, events throughout the year. How long have you been doing it, Eamon, the Mountain Rescue? Uh, I'm in the service now since, uh, I'm in the service now 15 years actually. Wow. So you, we do a year's training uh, on the inset and I'm, I suppose, what, 14 years in the team then. I'm only a youngster. I've only 11 years done. So I'm very much deferring to Eamon at all times. <laughs> What was the what was the motivation to get involved? Were you, were you both uh, hill walkers beforehand and and wanted to give back, or was there something else? Yeah, I think uh, both of us have come to it from uh, as most people do from an active hill walking um, background. Um, I walked with various hill walking clubs and walked with friends and so forth. I think Eamon is coming from a scouting background, but most of our friends or mo- most of our team teammates would have come from it uh, from the world of walking, rock climbing, mountaineering. And it's just that idea of giving something back, that you have a set of skills. If you can look after yourself on the mountain, you're already halfway to being a a mountain rescuer. uh, And you only need to layer on a couple of more skills relating to rescue in that context. So um, it's it's that idea of being useful, I suppose. Would you agree with that, Eamon? Yeah, I think so. I think we we all join and and we we like to give back. I know from my own personal perspective, um, I was coming from a scouting background and we actually had to call in Mountain Rescue on a particular hike we were on. So that, I guess, kind of gives you an idea of exactly what Mountain Rescue does. uh, And then that you already, as Rory said, you already had some of those skills that these people were using. So you're kind of a good fit for that service. Well, as, as someone who likes to spend a bit of time in the mountains, we're very grateful for, for the work that you guys do. So thanks for your work and, and thanks for coming on today and, and talking to us. It's been really interesting. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so lots of interesting stuff there from the mountain rescue team. Now we're going to see what it's like from the Coast Guard's perspective. And Noel, you went to see the Coast Guard in Sligo. I did, yes, Liz. I went to the Rescue 118 uh, helicopter base and I was speaking to pilot there, Porrick Slattery. And I started off by asking him what sort of the daily shift is like and what kind of weather products that they look at when they come on duty. So when we come on shift, so our shift here starts at one o'clock and we, we do a shift plan with the four crew and the two engineers. So, there's, so at any one time, there's six of us on the base here. Okay. Um, so there's two pilots, two tech crew and two engineers. Um, so two pilots obviously fly, the two tech crew 
um, are the winch operator, the winch man. So one controls the hoist and the other is clipped onto the hoist, if you like. Sure. Uh, both are paramedics um, or advanced paramedics. Um, and then the engineers, uh, with two engineers then who, who are ground-based, say that they stay on the ground. So the flight crew consists of the, the two pilots and the two tech crew, and then the two engineers then keep the show on the road in terms of the maintenance and, and, the, and all that. How long would a shift last for? So it's 24-hour shifts, so we start at one o'clock. Right. And it goes through the night until one o'clock the following day. Um, so no, I'm going to say nine times out of, say two times out of three, we, we kind of get a full night's sleep. Okay. Um, and um, um, so night time, like it's sort of the, the the missing person stuff and the and the um, the fishermen at sea sort of stuff. But um, but during the day, obviously all the other elements, the hill walkers and the you know anyone who's out in the waterways, all come into it. Um, so the appreciation is that at night time, the job count just reduces dramatically. So so that's why we're on twenty four shift. The expectation is that we'll get sleep. Okay, if that makes sense. And then. And uh, yeah, so kind of two out of three will get sleep, I suppose, on, on average. And you're um, saying then when you come in first thing on a shift, then you're checking. Yeah, so so you're checking you're checking all the currency items. So we have um, just what's called a currency board that we check um, with all of uh, with all the crew and and all of what we need to do. So each of those elements is is something that we have to remain current on. So so for example, we have um, the the aviation part of it, which is your instrument approaches your poor weather stuff um, and that would be that's almost what the Ryanair and Aer Lingus lads are doing you know as in it's 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 to do with instrument approaches to runways um, and things like that and then there's a there's some then helicopter handling in there so there's um, low level instrument flying so if, if we do end up flying into a cloud inadvertently inadvertently IMC it's called um, that we can handle that situation and all, and all that sort of stuff. So we put a few of the Met products into here. So there's just a, a quick overview of the radar, the visas, and and the satellite pictures, and they're they're direct from the Met web, um, just pulled into a handy to reference page if you like, um, and and the um, the forecast wave uh, conditions, and then obviously we can we go into the the, the, the official Met sites for for obviously all the airports. And, and go from there. So there's the live feeds and the, the, the TAFs uh, for all the airports. In terms of the, the weather products, are there certain are there certain ones that you zone in on there? I can see that you've got, say, the radar and satellite. Are they the yeah. ones you check, you check first? Or? Yeah, so, so the radar the radar is just the live picture stuff, um, the satellite as well. Um, we'd have a few kind of go-to areas. So, so we keep an eye, say, on, on the Galway and the Galway and the Letterkenny kind of areas. So, you know, you can see there, so while the weather is, say, bad in Sligo or, or the cloud cover is heavy in Sligo, Galway is not too bad, Letterkenny is not too bad. So, so there are kind of go-to in, in terms of the, the northeast and the southwest of our patch, um, or the south of our patch, rather, would be our go-to kind of hospitals. And um, and then anything else, then obviously we'd be looking for weather on scene. So on a day like today, where the, where the weather is up and down all day, um, you can see it's it's kind of up and down throughout the country. But we would launch and expect kind of a weather update from the scene, you know, be it from an MRT person, or a coast guard, or even the ambulance guy on scene, or the or the hospital themselves even would stick their head out the window kind of for a look. Um, okay, so really, someone who's on site, you'll be getting an observation. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, and, and even it might even be the first responder, you know, that, that if someone rings in 999 and sees someone in the water, like, it might culminate in it. Like, if it's a nice, clear day, that's fine, we crack on. Sure. But um, but if, if we need further information, it might even be the first responder, that 999 caller, almost they're asking them, you know, 
can you see the top of a hill kind of right. in terms of okay. a cloud base estimate and stuff like that um, just just to help just to help decision making when we get there um, so if someone is is making a call say for example a hill walk or something they think that they might need your assistance yeah you'd rec- it'd be, it's a useful piece of information for you to have to uh, absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely especially if if you know um, yeah, I suppose it's the obvious one if, if, if the hill walker themselves are calling in this last they're generally lost because they're in cloud which then means that that oddly we can't kind of get to them but what what'll happen then is that we'll end up we'll end up getting as close as we can to them um we'll end up bringing mrt up to the mountain rescue team up to the cloud base um to, to take say 20 minutes off there hike up the hill if that makes sense um and then we'll stand by you know ultimately we might end up landing in a field somewhere and waiting for them to be walked down um, by mrt and we're there then for the medical assistance should they need it um would be kind of in that scenario um you know that the, the better case of that is if they ring in lost and and they, but they they're not in cloud but they can see that the cloud is, is just above them you know then you know we're, we know that we're at, they're at the cloud base um and even that helps with the search if, if they're at cloud base then we can we can of course you know yeah. it, it's, it's almost like a, a point in space um that helps with all that when you come in then in the morning and or at the start of your shift and you're looking through the weather data are there certain weather conditions that you might be keeping a close eye out for say that you know for example it could be operationally difficult or maybe there's more likelihood of people needing rescue in those kind of conditions yeah and and again it it kind of goes back to like so if we were um you you know it depends on the on the, the very task we do so sort of one of our one of our um, capabilities is to do basically an airport to airport transfer. So, so we become essentially an airplane, you know, where, where we take off here, uh, you know, that's to transfer somebody from say the Lexus Lago hospital to Dublin hospital. And in that, con- in that case, so obviously we can go and land in Sligo hospital helipad and go direct, but if the weather was so bad that we couldn't do that, they would come here by ambulance and, and we would essentially become a, an, an, an airplane for that flight if that makes sense sure um, and that decision is based on the weather conditions yeah exactly yeah, exactly yeah. exactly and then obviously if the weather is good enough we go to Sligo Hospital so we're a helicopter for that bit and then the rest of it we, we will fly over to Dublin and, and follow the the procedures as you know because we have to be vectored in behind behind your Ryanair's and your Aer Linguses and all that so so it's 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 standard sort of aviation stuff and then as the weather improves and that same person we might end up getting tasked to their house. So, so if, if somebody is, if somebody again rings in nine 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 and ends up say with a chest pain, yeah. um, depending on the, the type of chest pain it is, they, we may end up getting tasked directly to their house and end up landing in a field across the road. Okay. And that same person getting taken to, to Galway um, from their, from their living room basically, okay. which, which is actually the, the, the pinnacle of the service. I mean, that's, that's the, the best use of time, um, so in the morning, or when you're looking at the start of your shift, then you might be in the back of your mind, then sort of making some of those decisions based on the forecast. Yeah, or, yeah, and, yeah, and equally, there's no rush. Like, like so on a day like today, where the weather's up and down, there's a few yeah. weather windows that we're we're looking at and stuff like that. We just spend five minutes extra looking at the weather, okay. and and if it just takes if it takes five minutes longer, that's fine. And um, and after launch, then obviously it's in the back of our minds to get updates on scene and and to keep an eye, say, on the Sligo weather behind us or or, or the weather obviously where we're going. Um, no different than any you know than any aviator. So in terms of the products, then um, we have the observations, which is your radar and your viz um, graphs or charts rather, and then the forecast stuff. So we have the the 
the one hour rain, we have the six day wind and rain, and then we have the wind the wave totals for um for each of the, the regions in Ireland and we can go through them and, and predict and, and that forms our training plans. So obviously as as the sea goes up or down, you know, so so if if you're tasked to a fishing boat, for example, it's 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 because it's wavy, you know, that yes. that's 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 why he's injured is because right. is because they're working hard. Um, so would you be anticipating that if you see okay there's a swell coming in uh, not, not, more, not no. so much okay. but it, it's kind of the other way around in that in that if you get tasked to 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 a fishing boat I know those lads are are quite good um, seafarers so so if you've been sent to one of them it's because the sea stays high you know and and you have a look at this to to almost verify your your thoughts and and equally to check the direction of it um, and where it lies in relation to the wind and what that means um, and then of course the the boy M four. All those, all those weather boys give give the live feeds for all that stuff as well. So that they're all good. Would you carry out weather specific training? Say, for example, you know that a type of rescue, you know, in certain weather conditions is tricky. So if you get those kind of conditions, you might go out and try and practice we, it in that weather. Um, yes. Yeah, so, so we have we have training limits um, in terms of keeping us safe. So, okay. for example, like a three to four meters sea would be kind of our, our training limit for deck winching where, where we deliberately go into a boat. Now of course it depends on the size of the boat. So it wouldn't be unusual for us to, to plan it, arrive there and just decide that it's 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 just moving too much. Okay. If that same vessel rings in and one of their passengers is injured and they need to come off, then that's a different that's a different kettle of fish. Okay. That's you're you're into the operational um SAR operational mode there. We're able to perform but the, for the training element element of it is um, we yeah we, we just have some sensible rules around our training limits so so that we're not injuring people if, if, okay. if that makes sense but yeah sorry to, to to come back to your point though so we we do simulate lots of stuff so we do kind of what's called um, a hoist changeover um, and that's a currency item on our on our board that where we simulate that a hoist fails so what will happen is we'll winch out our our winchman and he'll call for a hoist failure procedure and we will then change over to the second hoist and we will um, recover the, the okay. winch using the second hoist. The other thing we do is is up the front we, we simulate instrument conditions so we foggle up um, which is which is basically putting on a set of uh, foggles or, or a sheet of paper over our eyes so that right. we're, we're, we're on instruments um, and we are then so then the, the other pilot then will talk us through a series of turns you know so there'll be steep turns you know it'll be heading changes height changes all that sort of stuff and that's just to keep your hand in keep the scan going um, like predominantly we're, we're a VFR operation in, in the sense of that if you're looking at the window to find someone yes. and you're looking at the window to winch someone but, but ultimately there's that instrument flying perishable skill that, that we all have that, that, that we need to maintain. And when you say, you know, the, the foggles as you call them, are you able to see your instruments still? O- o- only instruments, only exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's the point of it is that yes. you're not getting your, your real horizon, yeah, that, okay. that you're, not, you're not getting that, um, that peripheral vision um, that you're closing off all that and you're just scanning the instruments in front of you. Um, we have to do um, our very bad weather stuff which is sort of what we call a radar flare so we we again we'd fog up for that and we would simulate that it's just fog at, at the scene so so for example you're going to your headlands there so you're going to bell mullet head or you're going to down patrick head or something like that where what we're doing there is we're simulating um it's fog on scene and there's someone um at the shoreline at the base of a cliff okay. something like that and and we end up trickling in using all the auto auto hover modes and uh, and ultimately we end up we end up um closing on the, on the on the land 
using the live radar feed from our weather radar okay. and we're doing it at a better walking pace. The craft itself has a, a weather radar. Yes, so, so we're full we're full IFR capability, we're full anti-icing capability. So we can operate in temperatures as low as minus 40. Uh, it's, it's, it sounds quite dramatic, but it wouldn't be unusual to be to be at minus 15 during, during the winter at, at of course, altitude. Of course. Um, so we can go all the way down to minus 40 if we need to. We can then uh, accrue icing on the blades, and there's, a, there's an electrical um, uh, heating uh, system on the blades and on the air intakes on the engines. That means all that ice gets shedded off, and uh, we, can, we can maintain the... the service in, in, in that sort of weather, okay. you know. Does the aircraft get set up differently depending on the time of the year or the weather? No, no, the, the old aircraft used to, um, with, with ice shields and stuff like that, but but no, nothing, this aircraft is just is the same state all, all year round. Is there a big seasonal component to the work? Would you find that, that you know, in there, terms of busyness or in terms of the work that needs to be done? There is, we, we are busier um throughout the summer months and all the way into kind of November. Um there seems to be a, a, a bit of a slump in November and then it picks up again in December for for whatever reason. I, I couldn't pinpoint any one thing. There's just there's just a um there's just uh, more of everything during the summer and, and, and a bit less of everything during the winter, you know. Sure. So so it's not that one thing increases or decreases. You know, people are still out in the hills in the winter time and enjoying enjoying all that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and and rightly so. As I mentioned, we were talking to the Goa Mountain Rescue Lads and you'd be sort of getting tasked with other rescue services, I'd imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. that'd be quite weather dependent, that decision, would it? Yeah, whether... yeah so, so the, the Mountain Rescue Team can, can request assistance, you know, so the Mountain Rescue Team um, can, and, and vice versa actually, so, so the Mountain Rescue Team can be tasked to a, a search or um, a rescue and then they can ultimately request assistance. Sure. If you need to take that around and do Wow, so clearly the phone um, was ringing there. So it's, it's quite, they're on call all of the time. It's a, it's a hive of activity there. There's, there's always people coming and going and they're always ready to go at a minute's notice, really. Um, but we took up the, the conversation then in the hangar where we, we had a tour around the helicopters themselves and then Porek brought me inside and was showing me some of the displays that they have in the helicopter and the different information that they're able to get. And we'll also hear Porik mention the SIGMET. So this is just a weather advisory that's issued giving weather information that's related to the safety of aircraft. So about events like thunderstorms or severe turbulence or icing, things like that. Are you able to see turbulence on the, on the weather system? Like, does it give you a yeah, warning of... Uh, not so much. Um, we generally go into SIGMETs and and other other reports, you know, for, from other aircraft. Yes. Uh, in the various in the various areas, most of our turbulence comes from being behind a hill when it's windy. Okay. As opposed to the, the sort of SIGMET turbulence, if, you know, if, if if that makes sense. If it's that windy and we're out, it's it's it, yeah, it, it's it's geographical turbulence. Yes, I understand. Yeah. Low level, yeah. As opposed yeah. to as opposed to the the airways turbulence, you know. I'd imagine you're avoiding things like uh, thunderstorms and yeah, exactly. And and the, the weather radar will pull up all that for us, and um, exactly that. So so we we avoid active thunderstorms by by ten miles, and of course they're they're moving along as well. So so yeah, once they move through, then we can move into the area. Should, should there be one in, in in our area of interest? 
I assume the aircraft's set up to handle if it gets struck by lightning, is it? Yeah, now, a helicopter getting hit by lightning is a big old deal because it's a proper event. So so in the fixed-wing world, um, it's, it's not that big a deal. Um, but because there's so many rotation parts, and typically it's the tips of anything will get hit, so lightning will, will come in a blade tip and out a blade tip. Um, and it can actually... There's a few photos of... of of helicopters that have been hit in SH2s, um, and, and that there's a hole in the blade, and, and stuff has exploded off, and stuff like that. So, and actually, it's it's a big deal that the maintenance issues there behind it is is another big deal. So, so, so when you do get back, it's it's a proper strip down, like your boxes come out and engines come out and all that. Yeah, so so it's so it's a big deal of hit by lightning. So avoidance is the main. <laughs> avoidance yeah. is, is is the key there, and uh, there's a, there's a thing called triggered lightning, um, whereby the the presence of the helicopter generator um static will 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 trigger the lightning strike okay so so that was a lot of research done by oil and gas in the uk because they'd have a huge amount of helicopters going in there so the norwegian sector the uk sector and the south uk sector all kind of collaborated with uk met office to um to generate a triggered lightning uh, product that that uh, that we've access to actually as well and it, it it just runs an algorithm and it's it's temperature based and um moisture content base and stuff like that that gives us a, a triggered lightning probability okay in training we try and avoid those areas um if we're on a job it, it we don't need to um in the sense that that it's it's, it's a probability not a certainty wow i never knew that about triggered lightning and how the blades of the helicopter you know how that would interact with the atmosphere that's really really interesting did he tell you any rescue stories? Um, did you get into? Uh, he he did. That? Yeah, we 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 got into into that. He, I asked him if there had been any rescues, in particular that he remembered that had been really affected by the weather conditions, and he had uh, some really interesting stories. I was in Shannon for a shift, and, and we ended up doing a, a deck. It was sort of 150 miles west of of Shannon, and it was a beautiful, beautiful day in Shannon, um, and. Um, the weather was indicating that it was going to be windy and wavy out at sea, if you like. Yeah. And sure enough, it was because it was gas because he left with this sort of it's a lovely sunny day right. kind of attitude. Yeah. But when you get out there, the, the boat was moving all over the place and we tried it on a few different headings and stuff. And, and again, you're back to the fishermen. The, the reason we're been sent there is because it's wavy and because he's injured. Okay. Um, and, and one ultimately needs to, you know, or they're linked in that in that he, an injured fisherman would always be injured on a wavy day because that's that's the nature of it. So yeah, so so that that was hard work out there, and then like that, then when we got back into Limerick Hospital, with the, there was two couches involved in that. When we got back into into Limerick with the two with the two couches, we almost landed on and went, you know, geez, what was the big deal? Because it was lovely and sunny again back in Limerick, you know. So <laughs> so it was sort of this this uh, it was just like going through the blue door and into a different yes. day, you know. Um, so that was that was the daytime. Yes. Ver- so the nighttime version of that then was uh, again we knew before we left that that it was going to be in actual fact um, the M4 data point that particular night gave an 11 meter peak wave. Wow. Okay. Um, on and we were up. We were just northwest there of of the Stags Broadhaven. We 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 ultimately part of our plan was was to not be able to do it. You know, as in as we were going out for a look. And, and we were almost briefing of when we can't do this, what will we do then? You know, it, that, that was sort of the weather conditions on scene. But ultimately, we, we got him. He, he we got him pointing downwind. So you end up doing what's called a downwind deck. So so instead of them going, so normally we'd like a boat to be into wind, and and we sit into wind, and we're all going the same direction into wind. Okay. And the wind the wind helps it pushes our downwash back. It helps with our power margins and stuff like that. But it gets to a point where if a boat's going into wind and has to maintain the speed for steerage, they're actually just going over too many waves. 
and when the waves are you know I'm not saying there were there were 11 but there was a peak of 11 so there were there were six seven eight meters he's just going up and down an awful lot so what we do then is we turn him around and let him surf down the waves so then he's he's ultimately in the trough of the wave for longer and it means that he's not going up and down as much now it means we're going backwards um so we're, we're still pointing into wind he's going downwind um and we're pointing into wind going backwards which is a bit tricky and, and and everything has to slow right down in terms of um you know we have to pick our window in in terms of the sets you know it's you know it's the, yes. the same sets yeah. that you see on the shorefront absolutely we see them out at sea as well okay. and, and you'd see them on, on the data boys and stuff like that so we will ultimately you know ultimately get to a position where the winchman is hanging out on the wire and you're in position and the boat's moving and you're just waiting for that 10 second window and then you just move in drop your winchman on and and move away again and that particular night we were overhead the deck for 62 minutes is, is what we wow. were hovering over the deck for um in terms of dropping the winchman off the winchman going and then of course the weather plays a factor there because the boat's moving so much the casualty isn't waiting for you he's you know down in the med bay or the ship or wherever he is so he's not up on deck you know yes. waiting to be clipped on if you like he you know because the deck is awash and all that stuff so one weather thing will, will influence another and influence another and influence another and ultimately just just will, will add an hour to the job if, if if that makes sense but but that's that's what we're prepared for and that's why we have the fuel and all that business but so that that was good. So that, that there was a great sense of achievement in that job because we had we'd we'd brief to fail almost if if if, if that's the right terminology, and uh, we were actually going to shoot him into Broadhaven Bay to get out of the swell. So it was a westerly swell, and one of our plans was to bring him into Broadhaven Bay where it was going to be calmer, and just go again. And in that case, we'd we'd go out there. We wouldn't achieve. We'd go to Blackstone for fuel while he was coming in. We'd wait there, and then we'd nip up and get him there. Okay. So that was Plan B. Yeah. And then Plan C was he could continue the whole way to Killy Beggs, but that was going to take another seven hours or whatever it was. Okay. That brings us to the end of this episode. Our thanks again to Porrick Slattery, Rory Sherlock, and Eamon Hartley for talking with us this month and for the excellent work they do year-round. We'd be delighted to hear your thoughts on this episode, so do reach out to us on the Met Aaron and RTE social channels or drop us an email at podcast at met.ie. Thanks for tuning in. You can subscribe to the Met Aaron podcast wherever you get your podcasts and do check out our previous episodes. We'll be back with a new episode next month. So until then, thanks for listening and take care. The Met Aaron podcast was researched and presented by Dr. Noel Fitzpatrick and Liz Walsh. Production and editing is by Janie Lanagon. <laughs>